Matthew chapter 6 and 9. If you can give me a little bit more monitor because my ears are just completely stopped up. Thank you. In this manner, therefore, pray. Where am I coming out of? This one over here probably? All right, good. I'm going to get to the one I can hear out of. All right. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. I want to say welcome to our friend from Ireland today, Belfast. We're glad you're back. He was here Wednesday night. Good to see you, man. I prayed for you this week. What we found out is over the past five weeks that the Lord's Prayer is a way of changing our way of thinking. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that when Jesus came, that was the main reason he came, was to change our way of thinking about God, about man, about salvation, about grace. Because Romans says, if you want to be transformed, what has to be renewed? Your mind. So Jesus knows if he can change our way of thinking about prayer, he can change our way of thinking about life. And so that's why he talks about the Lord's Prayer. And he goes through this whole thing. He says, this is how they pray, but I'm going to teach you how I want you to pray. And if you've not been here, I would recommend going back and listening to this teaching theme over the past five or six weeks because I believe it will impact your prayer life. Jesus came to change. And so what we jumped on a couple of weeks ago were the P's of prayer, the P's of prayer. And the first one we took from our Father, and we said you need to think parent when you, when you pray. Think parent that Jesus Christ, when he's speaking our Father, he's saying parent. Just bring that up on the screens right there. Think parent. I want you to get that in your head. Heavenly Father, not just a father. Some of you didn't have a good relationship with your father. And so don't just think father, think heavenly father who only gives what kind of gifts? And? Good and perfect gifts. I mean, your daddy may have given you some good gifts, but your heavenly father gives you good and perfect gifts, which means if he's not giving it to you, then it must not be our All right, so quit fussing at him. Our father in heaven, not only think parent, but think position. Our father in heaven, God, you are higher than I am. I want to start the prayer off by saying that You are higher than I am. You are more elevated than I am. You are more eternal than I am. So I want you to understand you're God and I'm not. Right? That's how Jesus said start your prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Third, think praise. His holy name. We talked about that a lot last week. That the name of God is so holy that the scribes weren't even allowed to write it without doing certain things. They would have to go wash themselves completely, cleanse their pen, and then come back and write the name of God. And yet sometimes we just throw his name out so flippantly and so easily. And Jesus was saying, when you pray, I want you to start off with this way of thinking. Think of your Father which is in heaven and he is holy. Then last week we ended on this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everybody say on earth and point down. 
as it is in heaven and point up. You feel like you're in Sunday school? Come on, point down. On earth as it is in heaven. Little John Travolta right there, just up. Once again, guest, I'm very sorry. What we hit last week was think permission. When you pray, think permission. And you'll have to go back and listen to this last week because we spent a lot of time on the fact that God gave us authority in the earth. Jesus Christ came and gave us authority. He said, I now have all authority in heaven and earth, and now I'm giving you my name to go do my work in the world. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So prayer is really about coming into agreement with what heaven wants. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is not trying to convince heaven to do your will. How many have spent most of your time praying that? God, I really need you to do this. Or better yet, God, you really need to do this. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is coming to into agreement with what heaven wants to happen in the earth. Giving heaven permission, saying, all right, you've given me authority in the earth. Now I'm telling you, you can come right here and do whatever you want in this place. We said it last week that the human will, next to Jesus Christ, the human will is the strongest force in the earth. Because we're going to do what we want to do, and we're going to get where we want to get, If we want to fly to the moon, we're going to fly to the moon. You ever really thought about how crazy that really is? I mean, think about the stuff that has happened and what science is doing now. If you make up your mind, we're going, it may take us a million years, but we're going to do it because we're humans. So when the human will comes to a place of agreement with heaven, that's when heaven celebrates. Because one human stops their will and says, I'm stopping me and I'm, I'm turning myself over to you. What does heaven want to do in the earth? What does heaven want to do with me? What does heaven say about me? How many would like to hear what heaven says about you? Not what you say about you. Not what your grandma said about you. Not what your principal said about you. Or that third grade teacher said about you. Or that perverted uncle said about you. Or that person that abused you said about you? Or the person that did you wrong said about you? What if you could start hearing what heaven says about you? That he loves you, he cares you, that you're beautiful, that you're handsome, that you've got a great future ahead of you? Come on. But like Joel Osteen just then. All right, let's dive in today. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the next phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I want you to write this down. Think provision. Think provision. There are very two important words in this phrase. Now, if you're taking notes, get ready. If you're not taking notes, just doze off, all right? You'll be fine. There are two important words, give and daily. Write those two words down, give and daily. So right, first of all, let's say this, God gives. I think we've already proven that over the past several weeks, that God gives, He loves to give. Remember we talked about that? He loves to give good and, <coughs> and perfect gifts. God is a giver. 
So if you're not a giver, then you're not reflecting God. God loves to give. And he loves to give generously and crazy stuff. He just loves that kind of stuff. Matthew 6, 25 through 26 says this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? How many of you spend so much time worrying about what you're going to put on? Raise your hand. I got mine up. <laughs> Come on, how many of you think about it? Man, I got to get some new clothes. I'm going to do that. Come on, y'all. some of y'all liars right now. I know you liars. You don't act like you spent a lot of time to look like you didn't care. <laughs> this is like I tried too much. By asking that question, you tried too much. <laughs> look, I know I tried too much. I'm just telling you, I like clothes, all right? I get it. But when it gets to the place that I'm so focused on that that I'm not trusting in God to provide for my needs, Right? How many of you, how many right now, at some point in this service, you've thought about where you're going to eat or what you're going to eat after church? Come on, raise your hand. Look at that, see? Our mind, we're always thinking about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat. What? And he said, look, I take care of the birds. You heard the birds this morning? You heard them? They were saying, man, God fed us today, took care of us today. And he said, how much more valuable are you than they? I wrote a song years ago called Sparrow Song. Remember that, Mama? I, don't, I need to see if I have that somewhere. And it, it was pretty much the fact that if he sees the sparrow when it falls, how much more does he care for us? In other words, he attended the funeral of a sparrow today. God showed up when a sparrow died today. How much more does he care about you and you being cared for? The Bible says he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. That's Philippians 4.19. He cares for you. He wants to provide for you. Look at your neighbor and say, You are more valuable than a bird. And I love birds. <laughs> he provides for them. So here's what I want you to do. Those of you that are facing a situation right now, Hey, this is good right now. Those of you that are facing a situation right now that you don't know how you're going to make it, I want when you see the next bird, I want you to say, Hey, God loves me more than you. <laughs> Tell him. That stuff he gave you today, he's got something for me as well. He gives. Secondly, he gives daily. I love that scripture that says, You make your mercies new every day. Because I know I need new mercy. I don't know about y'all. But the grace I had yesterday may not be the grace I need today. But I love I love it. We say this around here. When you wake up in the morning, just take a sniff because God's brewing up a fresh batch of mercy. Just getting it ready. That's better than folders in your cup, right? Just mercy. A little mercy just to take care of you. Whatever you're going to face, no matter what, God's already provided the mercy for that. He makes it new every day. You get up in the morning and you know what I need today is going to be there. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, then you might as well quit now. I'm going to tell you right now. You've got to believe that God is a daily God. 
Sometimes we think God is so eternal and out there and so far away. You got you to remember he's with every footstep. He's with every moment, with every thought, with every process. He is a daily God. Now there's a, a part of that daily though that I don't know that we've really grasped. How many have ever, ever heard the story of the manna in the Old Testament? Raise your hand if you've heard that story. <laughs> Those of you that haven't. They began to ask God, they were out in the wilderness, the Israelites, and they began to ask God, how are you going to feed us? And God just says, I'll take care of y'all. And so every morning when they would wake up, there would be manna that fell like dew on the ground. And manna was just like heaven's food, you know? And they used it to cook with. They used it to eat it. It was just this miraculous food that showed up that was enough to sustain them. I love that. When he says, give us our daily bread, what he's saying, it's going to be like manna that falls from heaven and all you got to do is go collect it. Go pick it up. Just pick it up. However, there were rules about it and the rules were this, only pick enough for today. Amen. You go back and read the manna rules, don't get more than you need right now. And the reason is because they were nomadic at that point. They were traveling and he knew what would happen if you try to store up food without refrigeration and And so some of them didn't listen. And they're like, I ain't getting enough for today. I'm getting as much as I can. I don't know it's going to fall tomorrow. And they would gather it up. They would wake up in the morning and it had instantly ruined and maggots were already in it. So the manna rules are this. Focus on what you need in your life right now. Focus on today. Now, for those of you that are thinking about, well, what about the future, your financial planners that are here, hold up, I'm going to come back to you, okay? Just relax, don't worry. There is something so monotonous about daily. Can I get an amen? One One of my favorite teachers said this to me one day. He said, the problem with life is that it's just so daily. Isn't that the truth? That you can stand here with dreams and visions. I'm going to do this. And then this is the hardest part. Just right there. It's just every day. Because you overcome a temptation today and you celebrate. And then tomorrow, here it is again. And you get over this hump, this cycle that you feel like, man, every time. I'm done with that one. You hear you. Here it is again. Right in your face. It's just so daily. And at It's monotonous, and yet, so write this down. There is something so monotonous and yet so powerful about the word daily. The greatest people in the world, the people that change the world, are the people that have learned to do it daily. Get up, go to work, do your duty, be on time, Uh uh-oh, Be faithful, be dependable on a daily basis. So everybody look at me because I'm in a room. We're in a city with people full of big dreams and visions. Don't care about your big dreams and visions. Can you show up on time? I love it. Great. I'm glad you got pipe dreams. Can you work to make sure your bills are paid this week? Because if you can't do that, God will not trust you with that. Start now, daily. 
Start tomorrow. Not, not next week, tomorrow. And there's a pastor speaking right there. Or an older dad, whatever you want to see me as. I'm speaking to young folks right now. You have great big dreams. I love your great big dreams, but it needs to start today. It needs to start tomorrow, a daily thing. You're just walking it out because we still have to play our part. We still have to do something. I hear people talking a lot about the favor of God and stepping into the peace of God and and I'm, I'm what God's going to do it all. No, no, God won't do it all. The Bible says we are co-laborers with Him. There is a part we have to play. And, and, and it's easy to get into, get into this mode of I'm going to rest in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, I'm going to marinate in His presence. And I'm going, to, I'm going to spend time doing this. And I'm going, to, I'm going to do that. And forget there's work to be done. There are things that God requires for us to do. Adam and Eve, here's the garden. Yay! Now you tend it. And don't just tend it, subdue it so much that you have dominion over it. That means I want you to be able to walk up to a lion and just pet it. That's some work, y'all. Tend the garden. You got to spend some time over it. Israelites, get up in the morning and gather the manna. It's not going to get up and walk into It's miracle food, but I didn't put legs on it, okay? You're going to have to walk out and gather it up and you still have to work. Look at me. You still got to work. The Bible says they that don't provide for their family is worse than an infidel or a heathen. How am I doing, Dad? Okay. <laughs> we still got to work. We still need to save. So that word that says, give us our daily bread, what he was talking to is these nomadic people that he knew they couldn't carry a lot around with them, all right? But I believe today that the word daily also means I'm providing for me and my family. So you still need to save. Proverbs 13 and 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You want to be a good man? Let your grandkids live off your inheritance. So getting to a place of saving. I talked to a financial planner the other day. Uh, It was so amazing. We have several of them here in the church right now. If you ever need somebody to help you with your finances, we can direct you to people that can help you set up savings. I talked to a gentleman the other day that said, if a 13-year-old will just do two things, 10% to God, 10% in savings, By the time they get to retirement age, they will be a part of the 1% wealthiest people in the world. And not just a 13-year-old, that goes up to a 26, 27-year-old. So right now in your 20s, if you would just start 10% go to God and 10% in savings, by the time you retire, you'll be a part of the 1% of the wealthiest people in America. You don't believe me. Where, where, where is Marinick? Right there. Just Mr. Marinick. You can ask him about the stats on that. It will blow your mind. So let, look at me right now. I'm telling you, start today. Now, I know this ain't gold dust and Holy Ghost stuff, but this is good preaching right now. This is good because you want to reach the world, but it takes money to reach the world. All right, I'm going to move on because y'all don't like this. But you will in about 30 years. You're going to come back and say, oh, thank you for that. Or you're going to say, man, I should have listened to that. I got things right now that I didn't listen to my dad told me. I should have listened. 
I'll, I'll make a list, Dad, and I'll tell you. Everybody say, we still work. We still save. But we don't hoard. Matthew 6 and 19. Do not store up for yourselves. Guys, can you bring that up on the screen? Matthew 6 and 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we save, but we also understand that we get in trouble when we try to create our own blessings. Blessings come from God. We don't create our own blessings. We take what's given to us daily. We steward it well. We give, we save, we share, and then we watch God begin to do what God only and God and God alone can do. Luke chapter 12 and 15. I'm going to read this really fast. And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Man, then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then... Who will get everything you worked for? And then he said this. Yes, a person is a fool to store up wealthy, earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. We get in trouble when we try to create our own blessings, and we get in trouble when we try to create our own prosperity. He said, pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I want you to write this down. We are to pray for provision And trust God for prosperity. Now, I am not a good preacher, but that is some stinking good preaching right there. Because the daily is the easy part. Because it shows up and you just walk it out. The prosperity is God's part. He leads and guides us and shows us how it... So in other words, we're to be co-laborers with God and trust Him with the outcome. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he goes on. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You ready for the next P? Think pardon. Aren't you happy that he pardoned you? How about the rest of y'all? Y'all doing good? Aren't you happy that he pardoned you? How many are happy that he forgave you? Anybody but me messed up really bad? Like yesterday? So let me ask you this. How many are happy that he forgives you? Thank you for that. Forgive us our debts. And he does. He says, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. All you got to do is confess your sins. And he is faithful and just. Isn't that amazing? 
Wouldn't it be great if everything else was that way? Hey, sorry. Messed up. Forgive me. I repent. Done. No problem. Forget that car wreck. It's all right. Go ahead. It's how God is. Confess your sins. However, I will say this. This is a good plug for our gatherings. If you're not in community with other people, you may be saved but not healed. Because the Bible says confess your sins to God and he's faithful to forgive you. But confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. We got a lot of saved people that aren't healed. That's why you got to get an intimate relationship with other believers and start talking and get to a place of trust where you can confess your faults to one another. That wasn't even part of my sermon. That one's free. Think pardon. So we celebrate in the, in the fact that God forgave and forgives us, and yet I think we forget that little word, those two little words, as we. When you read that, that scares me to death. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The process of forgiveness. Matter of fact, Jesus ends the whole Lord's Prayer with this in Matthew 6 and 14. He says, if you forgive those, guys, can you bring up Matthew 6 and 14? Do you have that? Matthew 6 and 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What he's saying is, God is not even going to listen to your prayers. If you have unforgiveness. And then he takes it another step with that scripture. He says, if you know your brother has something against you, not you have something against them. You know they've got a problem with you. That it's your job to go to them and make it right. Write this down. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. That's going to be some homework for you this week. I want you to read that. Everybody doing good? Now, I'm going kind of fast, and I've got a lot of material because I've got about four sermons I'm completing today, all right? So just stay with me. Guest, I'm sorry. I love it when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive somebody? Seven times? And Jesus said, seven times? How about seven times 70? One translator says that means it's infinite. What about the parable of the forgiven servant? You ever read that parable? where the Lord begins to call in his debt and the servant goes to him and says, I can't pay it. I can't pay it. And he says, okay, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to let you go. You may go. And the servant leaves and goes and finds people that owe him money and starts beating them to get his money back. And the master finds out about it and throws him in prison. Let me ask you something. Are you and I the same way? That we call God to forgive us? of our sins and trespasses, and yet we still hold grudges and have unforgiveness toward those that have messed us up? Write this down. Forgiveness has nothing to do with someone being right. As a matter of fact, it has everything to do with them being wrong. 
times have you said, I can't forgive them. They haven't confessed it yet. I can't forgive them. They haven't made it right. I can't forgive them. They never ask for my forgiveness. I can't forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is based on the fact that you were done wrong. There's a reason it's called forgive. It really means this. I will give for you. So let's say you come to my house and you're rolling around on the son's hoverboard. You know what that is? The new thing the kids have? Buzz around with no handle. Just scares me to death. Every time they get on, I lower my deductible just real quick. How low can my deductible go? They finally got me and Kristen. That's funny. You should see us rolling around the house on it. Just shaking up. Because you got to have core muscles, you know, to keep it going. Kristen can handle it pretty good, but my core just flops like this. All jelly and stuff. I don't see any football players laughing. I see y'all back there. Just nothing but abs on the back row. They just hover around, you know. So let's say you jump on that. You decide and you roll around by one of our very expensive vases that we have in our house. Because we have many of them in our home. Because we're preachers, you know. Preachers, yeah. And I have been on TV before, too. So there you go. It's just, we have vases all over the home. Just, just several places. Just, we don't even have toilets. They're just vases. But let's say you're on the hoverboard and you happen to run over one of our... And you break it. And you say, oh, oh my God, I will pay for that. I'm, I'm going to pay for that. And then I say, oh, no, don't worry about it. You don't worry about it. I got it. We got hundreds of them. <laughs> and then the next week, you get an invoice in the mail from me with the price of the vase with a lot of zeros. Or better yet, I don't send you an invoice, but the next time you see me, I remind you of it. And every time we talk, somehow a vase comes up. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness means I write a check out for the price of the vase and pay it and replace it and never remind you about it. I gave for you. Jesus said, if you forgive those that have wronged you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't, he will not forgive you. I don't know about you, but that's a hard word. I don't like reading that. (laughs) I like reading the part that he forgives me. I want to talk to you right now. Those of you that are not getting your prayers answered, could it be because you have unforgiveness in your heart? Unforgiveness? And what do they say? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping it's going to kill them. It's so bad. It's so wrong. And I know some of your stories. I'm looking at some of you that have been so hurt. And you've been so done wrong. And it's not fair. And I'm going to tell you right now, life is not fair. Whoever told you it is, is a liar. But God is. God is fair. And that's why we have to get back to the word of God and say, okay, they did me wrong. I know it. I I, I understand it. But I'm going to get to a place of forgiveness. 
Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Think protection. Think parent. Think position. Think praise. Think permission. Think provision. Think protection. Everybody say protection. First Corinthians 10 and 3. Or first of all, let me read our text. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others may experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to become more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, here we go, y'all. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. How many have ever said the temptation is so strong? Come on. Oh, my God. It's so good looking. I mean, good looking. Whatever your temptation is, that chemical or that drink or that food or that what you watch, or it's just, oh, it's so, I just, it's so, the Bible clearly says that there will never be a temptation in your life that God and his faithfulness will not show you a way of an escape. So here's what I'm going to say to you. Here's the best way to avoid temptation. As soon as it happens, start looking for the back door. Because I'm going to tell you there is one. Just study the, study the story of Joseph who shows up, works his way up into Potiphar's house. I mean, he's doing good. He's doing great. All of a sudden, Potiphar's wife says, oh, you good-looking Jewish boy. Come on over here. <laughs> Began to seduce him. And what does he do? The Bible says he ran and ripped away his coat and left his coat there with her. Yeah. Ran. So if she had his coat, obviously she was doing more than talking to him. She was starting to undress that boy. He runs with everything he's got. Yeah. Leave. Some of us need to leave our coat behind. Yeah. Just run, baby, run. Look at your neighbor and say, run, baby, run. The Bible says flee. Look at me. The Bible says flee youthful lusts. All you young people, run from it. Run from it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if lust can get you early, it's going to keep you the rest of your life. If pornography can get you early, it's going to keep you for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, you've got to find a way to run from it. Get some accountability partners, whatever you got to do, that you can pick up the phone and say, I'm struggling, it's about to happen. And they can say, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Get in covenant with people. Married folks, listen to me. That person in your life needs to be your spouse. We'll be talking about that later on. If you have to call someone else besides your spouse to keep you accountable, then you're wrong. Blame it on the virus. I don't know. But I'm telling you. <laughs> my wife and our marriage went to another level when we made each other our best friends. And we became one another's accountability partners. Yes, I still have men in my life. And she still has women in her life. But I'm going to tell you, if something goes down, the first person I'm going to call is her. If I have a temptation, she's the person I'm going to call. You need to have those people in your life. I know I've long-winded, but I'm about to wrap it up. Come on. This would have been a whole other Sunday. And for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the last P is think proclamation. That's where you get to the end of it and you say, all right. Now that I've said all this, somebody come play something so I'll shut up. Come on. Come play.
That's my, I'm like a trained monkey. I know when they start playing, it's time to close. Think proclamation. This is where you say this. Lord Jesus, you own the kingdom. You own the power. And you own the glory forever. So you do what you want to do. And there's that. I mean, look at that. There needs to be no more explanation than that right there. You go down all of these P's and then you come to the last one and you say, all right, everything I've prayed, everything I've said, I want to come back. I love how it starts with the Father, all about Him being holy, and it comes back to saying, hey, I want to remind you that I know that you own everything. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And not just today. How long? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then he ends it with amen. That word amen is not something that we just do in church. It's not something that just started in in southern churches and worked its way up. That word amen means this. So be it. Or I agree. Or my favorite translation, it is done. Say it with me. It is done. So here's what I want you to start praying. Look at me. I want you to start praying with the end in mind. Don't pray right here. You're praying for that son of yours that's away from God. You're praying for that business to come back strong. What are you praying for? How many guys know what you're praying for? Let me teach you how, how to pray. Don't pray right here. See the end. See what you want them to be. Chris and I were counseling a couple a couple of weeks ago. And we don't do a lot of counseling. We normally tell people you need to you need to find professional counseling. And, but this is one of those special cases that there need to be some intense and setting down as a spiritual thing, really more than than anything else. So we were with them a couple of times, and I was on my way to the next next session with them. And the Lord just, I said, Lord, just give me some wisdom on what I need to say. And the Lord just dropped something in my mind. And, and so when I walked in to our session that morning, I said, when I pray for you guys, I'm going to show you what I see. And I pulled up a picture of their wedding day. And they were looking at one another with such love in their eyes, like they just wanted to devour each other, you know, just, just, ah, can't imagine life being any better than this. And I said, when I pray for you, that's what I see. I want you to see that when you pray. I want you to see that kind of love and passion and affection. That's what I'm saying to you right now. When you pray, don't pray. God, just make them miserable. I may ever prayed that prayer for somebody. God, just make them miserable till they come back to you. Come on, raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody pray that prayer. God, just make them hate life and hopefully they'll come to you. I may even pray that prayer, Lord, just let me make it through the week. I'm going to let me make it through the week. Pray with the end in mind. What do you see the end looking like? It is done. It is finished. That's how we pray. Pray for the amen. Pray bigger prayers. Pray greater prayers. Pray more powerful prayers. You can't pray big enough prayers for God. Thank you three people for that applause. You're not applauding me. That's the word of the Lord. Let's stand.